Galatians chapter 1. Last week we began a, a new series in which we're moving verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And just a little reminder of some of the stuff we covered last week. Galatians is a corrective letter through um, it, it's written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul to the churches that are located throughout southern Asia Minor, which would be modern day Turkey. And Paul is writing this epistle out of great pastoral concern because he has received word that soon after he left Galatia to start churches in other areas, that some false teachers have come behind him and are now leading the believers astray by distorting the gospel, teaching that these new Christians must be circumcised to truly be saved. And so what they're teaching here is a faith plus law or faith plus works gospel. And essentially what they're saying by preaching this distorted gospel is that faith in Christ is not enough. Which would then mean that Jesus' work on the cross isn't enough. And so these believers are being taught that to be saved, they must contribute through their own salvation. And friends, this is dangerous ground. If we could contribute to our own salvation, if we could save ourselves, then Christ would not have had to come. Are you with me? And so Paul warns these believers that to turn to a different gospel at all, to mess with the gospel message at all, is to desert God Himself. So that's the context. That's why Galatians is written. And you know, there are really two brands of Christianity that still exist today. You have the real gospel that teaches salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Friends, that's the real gospel. And then this faith leads to transformation and good works. When you receive the gospel, see, you want to serve the Lord. You love Jesus. You're born again. All things are made new. And the Bible says His commands are not burdensome. You want to serve the Lord. And then there's a false gospel that is a merit-based gospel that essentially says that we have to work hard to earn our right standing or to keep our right standing with God. And so works and rules and regulations become a, a way to kind of keep in the, the approval of God or to earn the approval of God. And when you ascribe to, to subscribe to this kind of gospel, you never quite feel good enough. Because you and I know that we can never earn God's approval through works. So you, you try to follow the rules, not because you love God and just want to please Him, but because honestly you're scared to death. You're, you're petrified. It's, it's one of those things. I mean, you're, you're scared. You don't know moment by moment what's going to happen to you. And so you drive yourself mad trying to keep... All the rules, you know, the, 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 uh, in, in the country, what do they say? You better turn or burn. And that's kind of the way you kind of live your life. Scared to death of hell and scared to death of the Lord. And that's not a freeing way to live. How many know that Christ died to set us free, not to put bondage upon us? Whom the Son sets free is what? Free, free indeed. And so still today, we've got to make sure that we are believing and clinging to and savoring the real gospel of grace. Friends, there's freedom in that gospel. So what Paul addresses in this book, 
I want you to understand is foundational to Christianity. If you don't understand the message of Galatians, the real gospel, you don't get Christianity. Alright, so this is something good for all of us to remember, to read, to meditate upon. So, that being said, stand to your feet with me for the reading of the Word. Galatians chapter 1, we read through verse 10 last week, and now we'll pick up in verse 11. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Cephas is Peter. And remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And I love this. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God. Because of me. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on verses 11 and 12 because it's redundant to what I preached last week. Namely, that Paul's calling to be an apostle is divine. The Lord called him himself. And the gospel that he's preaching, the message that he's preaching is divine. It came directly from Jesus. It did not come from Paul's study. It did not come from any other man, but it came from the Lord himself. And so Paul says in an earlier verse, even if an angel from heaven were to come down and preach against that gospel, the Galatians and we should reject it. That's how serious this message is. So verses... 13 through 24 then, as we move to that section, they're very autobiographical, alright? They're about Paul's past life, and they're about his life now. Now here's what's interesting. This is why I love preaching verse by verse. I would never pick Galatians 11 through 24 just randomly to preach on a Sunday morning. It's just, it's honestly, it's an autobiography. And so, when I came to this text, I'm like, this is only week two of Galatians. I... I wasn't looking forward to it, just to be honest with you. But how many know that every word of God in the Bible is inspired? Every word in the Bible is inspired. And and it's valuable. God doesn't waste His breath. He doesn't waste His words. Every word is so vital. And so I just said, God, I need you to get me excited and show me what you want us to learn from these verses. And and I just began to dig in and to dig in. And I want you to know I'm pumped up to read Paul's autobiography today. It's going to bless you. And uh, God is so good. I love His Word. And so Paul is using his testimony here 
as a means to refute the claims of the people who are undermining his message. Again, he's showing that the gospel that he is preaching has come directly from the Lord. It is the real gospel. And in Paul's testimony, here's what you find, that he personally has experienced the gospel that he's now preaching. And friends, that will change you. That will transform you. He has experienced the wonder of God's grace and the beauty of the finished work of Jesus. And this gospel has radically changed his life. You cannot encounter the gospel and not be changed. You cannot encounter the real gospel and not be radically changed. So we get a glimpse through these verses of the Apostles Paul life before and after he encounters the gospel. So I'm titling this message, Paul's Story, Our Story. And here's why. Because the outline that we find for Paul's life should be the outline experienced by every true Christian. The details may look a little bit different, but the general outline ought to be the same. So number one, if you'll take your message notes, we're going to look at Paul's past and our past. Look with me again at verse 13. Paul writes, For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Don't just read past that. I mean, feel the weight of these words. I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So Paul reminds the Galatians here of his former attitude towards the church. So before his conversion, Paul was extremely hostile towards the church of God. Okay, He, He was a devout Jew, but he did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He did not believe that the Christian faith was the way. He thought it was in opposition to Judaism. And his aim in life was to destroy it. They called it the way. And he wanted to destroy the way. And so anybody that would preach the gospel, he wanted them persecuted. Because he wanted to shut down this faith. So Paul makes this point to the Galatians saying, listen... I didn't come to this gospel on my own. Remember, I hated this gospel. I despised it. I loathed it. I didn't believe it. I thought it was a sham. And he's making the point again, listen, for me to change my mind on this would have taken a miracle of God. And what happened? He experienced a miracle of God on the road to Damascus. So Paul's making that argument saying, listen, this I didn't just change my mind. I loathed those people who said, hey, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I didn't believe it until I met the risen Jesus. That'll change your mind, won't it? And then he reminds the Galatians also of his former religious behavior. He says, he talks about he was a devout Jew. All right. He was committed to his heritage and he was a great defender of Judaism. Paul was a strict adherent to the law, and, and he was actually a brilliant student. He, he studied, the Bible tells us, under the, one of the most prominent rabbis of the day. So he was very religious, but how many know that it's, it's very possible to be religious, very religious, and yet not be a Christian, not be saved, to not know God? Because, because you're religious does not automatically mean that you know the Lord. We say it like this often, that there is a difference in knowing about God 
in knowing God. So Paul knew a lot about God. He knew how to keep the rules. He knew how to be pious and religious. But he didn't know God. He missed it. Now think about our past. The details of our past probably look quite different for most of us than the Apostle Paul. The details of his life at least. Most of us weren't trained or called to be a a capital A apostle. None of us were called to be a capital A apostle as a matter of fact. Most of us weren't persecutors of the church before we came to faith. But we do share some similarities with Paul's story. Now the obvious one is that between our past and Paul's is that we were all at one time bound by sin apart from Jesus Christ. That was the case in Paul's life and that was the case in our lives. And then multitudes of people who are now Christians probably relate to Paul in this way. In that one time they tried to earn their way to God. They were committed to being really good people. Paul knew what that was like. He knew the weight of that, the burden of that. You know how freeing it was for Paul to find grace. And I hope that's your story as well. If you used to be just a really religious person trying to earn the favor of God, I hope you feel the the wonder of the grace of God who loves you in spite of what you've done or where you've been. A God that keeps you not by by, by your own doing, but by His power and strength. Amen. By His grace. Many of us too can relate to what it is like to have religion, like I mentioned, Without relationship. Knowing about God, but actually not knowing God. As a matter of fact, when I have conversations with people constantly, this happens all the time in this area, because everybody almost grew up in church. So when I ask people this question, what's your relationship like with the Lord? Who is God to you? You know where they almost always go? Well, I, I grew up in church. And then for some reason, everybody's granddaddy was a preacher. In this area. My granddaddy was a preacher. And I say, listen, you can't ride his coattails into, into heaven. You've got to have your own faith. Matter of fact, your granddaddy, just because he was a preacher, that doesn't guarantee him heaven. Because you can be a preacher and not know God. So re- religion, there's a difference between religion and relationship. And Paul knew religion just like many people here in the Bible Belt know religion. But I'm finding more and more that fewer and fewer actually know God. And that's tragic. So ultimately, as seen through Paul's persecution of the church, we see that he was living in great rebellion to God. And you may have not done the same things Paul has done. But guess what? You and I have both lived, apart from Christ, in rebellion to God. And so in that way, we can identify with Paul's past. But I love this because Paul moved from this horrendous past to finding incredible purpose in life. And it's incredible, isn't it, to think that someone with a past like Paul's, a persecutor of the church, could now write over half of what we call the New Testament. To to be one of the the, the pillars of the faith, the, the foundation of our faith, of which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Ephesians chapter 2. So secondly, let's look at this Paul's purpose and our purpose. Look at verse 15. Paul says, When he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. 
Now, I pointed this out last week, and I want to say it again, that Paul did not find Jesus. Jesus found Paul. Okay, it bothers me when when people say to me, Pastor, I found the Lord. No, you did not. No, sir, no, ma'am. The Lord found you. If you think you found the Lord, you don't understand your your own depravity apart from Christ. Because what you're saying is, oh yeah, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. And I did what the Bible says no man can do or is doing. Romans chapter 1. No man seeks the Lord. There's none who are seeking God. So it is God who calls us. Salvation begins with the Lord. He draws us. John 6.44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up. On the last day. So Paul's relationship with God. I want you to get this. Started with God. And so did ours. And that's reason just to praise the Lord. Salvation comes by grace alone. Through faith alone. So in that order. Okay. God draws us to himself. And we respond in that grace. In faith. In the faith he's given. Even our faith you understand is a gift from God. So Paul's faith in Christ was only made possible as a result of the glorious grace of God who revealed himself to Paul. So here's what's interesting. When when Paul was converted, his life took on incredible purpose, didn't it? It took on two different types of purpose. It took on a unique purpose and it took on an ultimate purpose. Let me talk about the unique purpose of Paul's life. Paul, as you know, was called to be a capital A Apostle. And if you don't know what I mean by capital A Apostle, you can go back and listen to the message online from last week. Paul was called to be an Apostle. That was a unique calling to him. What a precious task the the, the Apostle Paul had to, to reach out to people who felt alienated by God because they were not Jewish. And this was a revolutionary call because God's dealing in the Old Testament were primarily with the Jews. And the focus was on Israel as the chosen nation. And now with the coming of Christ, the Gentiles are invited in. And this is great. Uh, Look, Paul says in Galatians 3.28, listen to what he, he writes. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, what glorious news. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's incredible. See, we're engrafted in as as Gentiles, as non-Jews. And Paul got to take this message to the Gentiles. Paul, the one who persecuted the church, got to now preach the message of faith to the Gentile believers. It's incredible. That's his purpose. And you see the beauty of the gospel here? In spite of all that Paul had done to destroy the church, by God's grace, he gives him stunning purpose. I I sat at the halfway house this morning and I I told the, the men there, who are convicts. I said to them, guys, what this says to you is this. If God can use the Apostle Paul, then He can use you. Because so many of them sit and they think, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. 
God could never use me. Friends, that could not be further from the truth. The Lord's grace is so marvelously seen. Oh, it's so gloriously seen when He takes a wretched, the worst. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. And he turns them into a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's incredible. And so God wants to use you. In spite of what you've done, in spite of where you've been, God will use you. And there's nothing like knowing the purpose and the plan of God for your life. Oh, friends, hear it today. You're not useless because of a mistake you made last week or last year or ten years ago. God can restore you. He can put the broken pieces back together. We serve an awesome God. So Paul had this unique calling. And I want you to know, I don't have the same calling as Paul. I'm not called to be an apostle in in this sense. But I have the calling on my life to be a pastor. And I just want you to know that this is not because I have a good track record. I promise you, I'm not the most gifted. I, I'm not the, I, I didn't follow the rules as a kid. As a matter of fact, I grew up in a youth group of about 75 to 100 kids. And I probably would have been voted the least likely to be in ministry. Maybe in church. With my long hair and my earrings and my combat boots. Come on somebody. Listening to my rock and roll. I think the church doubted me, but I'm grateful that my God never doubted me for a second. Hallelujah. And in spite of some really bad decisions, in spite of the heartache that I caused my mom and dad, who thought, I wonder if he's ever going to get it together. I, I, I didn't get it together. But like Paul, Jesus found me. Hallelujah. And he changed me and he transformed me. And my life now has incredible purpose. And you may not be called to, to be a pastor. You might not be called to be a pastor. You might not be called to be a a musician or a singer. But I promise every one of you in here, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you are not living until you find out what that plan and purpose is. So that's His unique purpose and we all have that. And then Paul has an ultimate purpose and I love this. An ultimate purpose. His unique purpose serves the ultimate purpose. And that's found down in verse 24. And they glorified God. Because of me. I want that to be my life song. I want to live for that, that, that purpose, that aim, day in and day out. I don't want people to sing my praise. I want them to glorify God because of me. What delights my heart as a preacher is not to, to, for you to high five me on the way out and say, Good job, pastor, and go live like the devil. I don't care if you ever say anything to me. I appreciate your encouragement. But it's only by grace that I can ever preach. With any success. It's Him. But you know what I want to see? I want to see because of what I'm preaching to you today. Not because I'm so good, but because He's so good. I want to see you glorify God because of me. I want to see you encouraged today to walk out and to live for God and to love God. And glorify God because of me. And I hope that that's your aim too. I hope it worked that people glorify God because of you. I hope uh, teenagers at school that people glorify God because of you. I hope your families glorify God because of you. Your children and parents glorify God because of you. I want that to be our mission. That's our ultimate aim. You know, everybody is looking for their purpose, aren't they? What's my purpose in life? What's my purpose in life? 
And they think it's in a job or in a career or in a talent. And people are empty because they're not finding their purpose in life. They're empty. This is why you see people who look so successful and they're the most miserable people on the planet. Because they've obtained what they feel like is success, yet they're empty. You see this in business leaders who have more money than you would know what to do with. And it's never enough. If it's millions, they want billions. If they have a billion, they want multi-billions. It's never enough. And they're empty and they're miserable. They, they, they feel, this isn't my purpose. Then you have actors and actresses and, and singers who can light up a stage with their presence and draw crowds of tens, even hundreds of thousands of people who will sing their praise and cheer them on and they're drowning their sorrows in spite of all that success with the bottle, with drugs and alcohol, many of them even ending their lives or just going on miserable. Why? Because though they're talented, they still have not found their purpose. Are you with me? They're not living to glorify God. And I'm not suggesting that you uh, quit your job and become a, a spiritual hermit. No, it worked. You're called to glorify God. Paul said this, in, in eating and drinking, which are the two most base things in life, whether you're eating or drinking, do all to the glory of God. That means when you sit down with your family to eat a meal, you ought to thank the Lord. You ought to glorify Him. Be mindful of His provision for you. When you kiss your children on the head at night and lay them in the bed, you ought to thank God. You ought to bless the Lord. You ought to train up your children in the admonition of the Lord. When you go to work, you ought to thank God for your job. And your your aim is not just to climb the corporate ladder. Your aim ought to be to glorify God by the way you treat your boss and your co-workers. Because you're not like the rest of them. You're not looking to cut somebody else down so you can move ahead. You you do what the Bible says. You prefer others before yourself. You'll let them go in front of you just to bless the Lord. So that, not they'll say, oh, what a nice guy so-and-so is. No, they'll say, oh, God is so good. He's real. Because only somebody that, that, that has the Lord, a relationship with Him, would do this. And they glorify God because of you. It's school. You ought to do good in school, teenagers. You ought to try your best. But it's just not to, you know, the end is not just so you can get a good job. It's to glorify God with that knowledge. And it's cool to be a witness to to lost and hurting people. And those of you who are on the EKU campus or Berea campus, I think EKU has 16,000 students. How many of them do you think need the Lord? So you live your life loudly on campus for the glory of God. That's our Purpose. That's the ultimate purpose. So whatever your unique purpose is, that, the, the, that, that is there to achieve the end aim, and that is to glorify God. That's why you need to, to walk in your unique purpose so that you can glorify God in your ultimate purpose. Amen? So I, I, this is what Paul found. I mean, he, he looked successful in the world's eyes when, before he came to Christ. I mean, he was smart. He was educated. He had families and, and, and friends and, and, and a very uh, remarkable pedigree. I mean, he was a man. It looked like he had it all. But you know what? 
Paul would never go back to that life. He lost it all when he came to Jesus. People turned their back on him. He, he, instead of persecuting, he became the one who was persecuted. And he finds himself often in prison, weak, beaten, abused. And here's what he says in Philippians 3.8 as he thinks about his past. Here, here's what he says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's not the benefits. It's, it, it's not the benefits of what you have on the earth with God. It's just knowing Jesus. Just knowing Jesus. Oh, just to walk with Him. I might be in a prison cell, but I'll take this any day than, than going back to my old life and not knowing Him. He says, for His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, as dung, as garbage in order that I may gain Christ. That's the heart of a real believer right there. So only when we know Christ can we know purpose. Now, Paul, I want to look at one more aspect of his story. When he experienced the gospel of grace that I'm preaching to you, his life was incredibly transformed. And that's the last part I want to look at. Paul's progress, our progress. I'll summarize verses 15 through 19. Paul explains that after his conversion, he did not go straight to the apostles in Jerusalem. Instead, he went to Arabia and he spent time there uh, in preparation for his ministry. And the implication is that he learned directly from the Lord rather than the apostles. So this is kind of, again, redundant. He's making this point over and over And after this time in Arabia, he then made his way to Jerusalem, not for instruction, but for unity and accountability with the other apostles. And we'll pick up in verse 22. And he said, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Can you imagine when, I mean, this man who persecuted the church, can you imagine when they see Paul coming? When he was first converted? I mean, he probably couldn't walk in a church. Imagine the response. But, But I love this. This is grace. But here's what, the, here's what they were hearing, the people. He who used to persecute the church, persecute us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. That's incredible. That's what the gospel does to you. And they glorified God because of me. So God sent his amazing, loving grace on Paul. And this man who was in great opposition to the church... Started promoting the church. From persecution to promotion. That's the gospel. It's incredible. Paul was saved by grace through faith. And that faith was evident through an incredible changed life. See, so many people want to talk about, yes, I'm saved, pastor. But they go on living the same way. Imagine if that was the case in Paul's life. Yes, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm still going to persecute the church. It makes sense. And it doesn't make sense in our lives. Because when you experience grace like this, I'm telling you, it changes everything. Paul was a new man. And that's what the Bible teaches. That when we are in Christ, we are new creations. So this type of transformation, don't miss this church. Please, give me your attention. This type of transformation is always, everybody say always. This type of transformation is always evident in the lives of real believers. Well, pastor, we're not supposed to judge. Really? Because it says, judge not lest you be judged. That's way out of context, my friend. We're the church. We're supposed to call each other out. We're just supposed to take the log out of our eyes before we remove the speck from our brothers. 
And I've been, I've been preaching this message for a while, and, and I just I, I want you to feel the weight of my heart. Because I watch you on Facebook. I'm not judging you. This is not directed. I hate when people come up to me, Pastor, I know you were talking to me. If I have something to say to you, I'll say it personally, not from a pulpit. Baby, that's the conviction of the Holy Ghost on you. But I hate when I, when I see my church, and it's not that it's necessarily bad things, but it's like there's no heart of God. And I'm not saying that all you've got to do is post Scripture and all this, but there's like, it's, it's the love of the world. That's what I see. That's what I hear in conversation. I don't see a transformed life. See, so many Americans, they, they want to put Jesus on as an accessory. I want to keep living how I live. I'm going to keep spending my money how I want to spend it. It's all mine, but I'm going to go to church every once in a while so I can feel like I'm going to heaven. And I'll even identify as Christian. Identifying as Christian doesn't save you. You're saved by grace through faith. And when you're saved by grace through faith, change comes. You are radically changed like Paul was changed. And your life becomes about the kingdom of God. If it's not about the kingdom of God, if you do not, if you do not love Christ above all things, and I'm not saying we walk in this perfectly all the time, but if you're kind of flipping about your relationship with Jesus, if He's just an accessory to your life, you do not know Him. And hear the cry of my heart. I'm not condemning you. I am pleading with you. Get saved. Have faith in Christ. Yield yourself to Him. Love Him. Treasure Him. Evaluate. I'm not trying to get you to doubt if you're really saved, if you are saved. But if you're not, if you just, well, Pastor, I just prayed a prayer. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that's how you're saved. I ask Jesus into my heart. We've got to quit telling people that. That's not what it means to be saved. You don't ask Him into your heart. God calls you. You respond in faith. Boom. Life happens. You're a new creation. You're born again. It's called regeneration. And when you're regenerated, you're a new person and it's evident to everyone around you. Life change always comes. And again, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Transformation is not the way to salvation, but it is the outward evidence of it. A real Christian is born again, moving from death to life. You think there's a difference in dead people and living people? You you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And, you know, people say, you know, they'll tell me about one of their friends and and it's in the hospital or whatever. And I'll say, well, brother, are, are they a Christian? Do they know Jesus? Well, pastor, I don't really know. There's your answer. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I want you to feel the weight of this. It's not, it's not condemnation. But guys, in the end, we're going to give account for our lives. We're going to give an account. So I plead with you today, don't waste your life. Because many of you, many of you, It's evident. You're living for the world. And you just want a little bit of Jesus here and there. That's not it. He has all of you or He's none of you. It doesn't start with change. It starts with faith. But when you really have faith, I've said it before, the other side of the coin of faith, it's the same coin, is repentance. And repentance is not first a change of action. It's a change of mind. So you move from loving sin and loving the world to loving God. That's a change of mind. That's what faith is. It's it's trusting God, loving Him, delighting in Him more than sin, more than rebellion, more than yourself. Paul said it like this, and we'll study this later. He says that I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Is that the testimony of your life? And I know it's easy in times like this to think about your neighbor and go, I hope she's listening. No, listen to your own heart. Ask God. Ask God, Lord, do I really know you? Or am I like Paul before his conversion and just know a lot about you? I'm not asking how many scriptures can you quote? Here's the deal. Someone who has experienced God's grace and is truly regenerate is a changed person. You don't show up to church once a month. You don't. And you don't go out of duty. Well, Pastor Chris is going to be mad at me. If that's the reason you're coming, I'm glad you're here anyways. But your motive's wrong. You're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. No, you go because you're now part of the Christian community. I, I, don't, I can't fathom it when people tell me, well, I'm a Christian, but I just don't deal with organized religion. I don't go to church. Where's that in the Bible? You're part of the church. Jesus said that, that they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Well, I just don't, I, I've been hurt, I've done this. Listen, when you've been hurt by your family, do you walk out on them? I hope not. I hope not. That's what family is. We stick together. Nikki and I have had one or two arguments over the 20 years we've been married. One or two. Small arguments. We call them intense moments of Christian fellowship. We don't fight. You know why I stay... Honestly, I've told you my story. We wanted to kill each other at times. How many married people felt that before? You know why she's sitting here with me? Because we're family. Because we made a covenant. We love each other. Not because I'm perfect. Not because she's perfect. Can I get an amen? Because we love each other. That's why we come to church. You don't think I've been hurt? I felt this weekend the, the, the enemy brought up in my mind something that happened to me a year ago by somebody who's no longer here. And I was almost moved to tears. And there's times like that when you go through things in ministry and you think, I, I pour out my life and maybe it'd just be better if I just sat at home. Oh, that's the devil right there because it wouldn't be better. What do we do? We press on and press through. You don't think in, in, in 30 years of, or 39 years of me being in the church that I've been hurt before? I've been almost killed by the church. They've, I've got a stack of medical bills like this because I was so hurt by a church. It was all caused by anxiety. And I'm still here because I love the family of God because I've been changed by the grace of God. When you've been changed by the grace of God, you read the Bible not because Pastor Chris tells you to, but you delight in it. You love it. You, you love God. You, you, you want the Word of God. You long for it. And when you don't, you ask the Lord, help me to long for your Word because it is life-changing. Someone who's been saved by God's grace doesn't want to sin anymore. Well, Pastor, if you preach this message of grace, it's just going to be a license to sin. If you're using God's grace as a license to sin, you do not know God. Because if you understand what He's done for you, that He's called you, that He's loved you, that He has saved you, you don't want to break His heart. You want to serve Him. His commands are no longer burdensome. Someone who's been saved, get this one, by God's grace, is what the Bible teaches, is forgiving. They're forgiving. Nothing, I don't think, drives me crazier. Then when I hear, I mean, a wretched sinner who gets, quote unquote, saved, and they're petty, always mad at everybody. Get over yourself. The same grace that God has lavished upon you, you ought to give to other people. That's grace. 
That's grace. So, so somebody who has been really changed by grace. This is the Apostle Paul. He was changed by grace. Remember the Philippian jailer we talked about just a few weeks ago? Who was guarding him, an innocent man. Paul and Silas were in the innermost prison cell in stocks like they were hardened criminals. And all of a sudden, God works a miracle. The whole prison gets loose and the jailer is getting ready to kill himself. And Paul cries out and saves his life, leads his whole family to the Lord. That's grace. That's the heart of somebody that's been transformed by God. So we are not saved. I've got to say this one more time. We're not saved by a changed life, but change always comes. It's always, it always comes. It is lasting change. Luther alluded to this. He said that, I'm going to paraphrase this. I love this quote. He said that we're saved by faith alone. Martin Luther, we're saved by faith alone. But he said, saving faith is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It always comes. It always produces. It's always bearing fruit. When the root's right, the fruit's right. It's the evidence of what's going on. In closing, Christians are often accused of being exclusive. We're, we're, we're accused of being closed-minded. And here's why. Because we say that to be saved, to go to heaven, to be saved from this present age... The only way is through what? Jesus Christ. He's not a way. He's what? The way. It's important. Nobody has any problem with saying he's a way, but when we say he's the way, they have issues. And they say, well, that's exclusive. No, it's not. The other gospel is exclusive. Let me tell you why. Every other religion, here's what they say. To get to God, you have to do something. You have to be, you have to keep this moral code. You have to be this kind of a person. In other words, essentially, you have to be a good person to get to heaven. Well, that, what's that say for some really wretched people? You have no hope. Friends, that's exclusive. Sorry, you, you had a bad, bad life. You've done some really bad things. I would have sat at the halfway house today and said, guys, sorry. Fern and Larry, they're going, but they're, they're good people. But you guys, uh, is that inclusive? No. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the inclusiveness of the gospel. Feel this. It says for everyone right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been, it says that all of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says that the, 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 the true gospel says that the ground at the foot of the cross, we say it often, is level ground. It's level ground. I have no advantage over you. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is open to whosoever will believe. That's it. So which gospel are you standing in? If you have not believed the right gospel... If you have not clung to the right gospel, savored the right gospel, if you're not walking in the right gospel, repent today. I, I, I pray that you would repent. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your day to feel the weight of this bondage removed from you. You don't have to be a slave to sin or trying to be good enough anymore. You can feel the weight of that lifted off you today.
and leave out of here like you've never felt in your life. Can you imagine Paul after receiving Christ, knowing Christ, the weight of that burden of keeping the law to the T lifted from him? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Galatians, is, is, it's a book about freedom. There is freedom in the Christ. Paul's so angry at the Galatians. Why are you trying to go back to the law? You're freed from that. I've been there. He says, it's miserable. You never feel quite good enough. Why would you want to go back to it? Thank God for His grace. Relish in His grace. Love His grace. Savor His grace. Walk in His grace and offer it to other people that they may see your works and glorify your God who is in heaven. That's it. Let me ask you, how could you live your life in such a way that men and women, when they look at you, they're compelled to glorify God? When you're at work, secular job, when you're at Walmart, when you're in traffic, are people compelled to glorify God? Here's what I want to do. I want you to stand to your feet. If you don't know Jesus, today is your day. I just want to thank God for His grace. Because most of us are Christians in here. And I just want to thank Him for His grace. Uh, Tiffany is going to lead us uh, in, in, in the band. They're going to lead us in, in a song. And I want us to sing like we've never sung before. Because God has saved us not by our own merit. Not because of any good in us. But because of His glorious, glorious grace. Amen.